0: Please join me as I pray. So, our Father, we're asking that you would feed us. We thank you that your word is true food. I'm asking that right now we would be a people that are hungry and ready to be fed, that you would help our hearts to be situated before you, ready to receive. And I pray that as a result of you feeding us, that we would be a community of wise and faithful, outrageous generosity. That you would unlock that in our souls in a new way in response to your character, that we would be men and women who are wisely generous. Would you accomplish this through your word as you feed your people for your glory? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen this last summer my family and i went on a fairly epic road trip you've heard some about that at different points Um, a portion of that was done in an rv which was an adventure Uh, and the portion that was done in an rv included a trip through tioga pass which here's a picture of tioga pass Uh, it's somewhat hard to get the full scope of what's happening here but that that little road is the highest road in the state of California coming out of the north end of Yosemite. And it's about 9,900 feet elevation. And I think what you can see there is there are no guardrails on that road. It's pretty narrow. 9,900 feet careening down into this. So I was driving an RV on this pass and uh, my kids were kind of having fun playing in the back Ashley was sitting in the passenger seat and there would be these gusts of wind that come down off the top of that mountain and now a big flat RV side is not what you want when the wind is coming because it just so I drove like this white knuckled really nervous the whole time and Ashley kept going oh wow it's beautiful and I was like I'm sure it is I, li- I did not want to see what was over there because I just kept thinking without guardrails, this pass, my kids are oblivious, having fun in the back. And I, I felt like I was the only one fully present to the fact that at any moment we were all going to die. Uh, this was a, a past. It was it was a harrowing road that led to some beautiful, beautiful overlooks. But harrowing and, and quite frankly, just foolish because we were making that drive in the wrong vehicle, especially with no guardrails to protect us. And I, in many ways, we're, we're on a journey together through the Proverbs talking about finances. And I think we're coming up to kind of Tioga Pass this week in certain ways. Like we're, we're cruising. We, we've talked about what the wisdom of God has to say about our wealth and what he has to say about poverty. And this week we're talking about generosity. And I want us to think about it as generosity pass we're we're cruising up to some high altitudes that are going to allow us to see more clearly the glory of God to experience the freedom and the fullness that he has designed for us that our finances can actually facilitate but one of the things that I love about the wisdom of God's word is that he doesn't ask us to traverse this pass without guardrails The beauty of engaging what he has to say about generosity is that he says it in the context of clear wisdom, wisdom that serves as guardrails on generosity paths that's leading to some beautiful summits if we will go with him on the journey. And so our aim today in studying the wisdom literature as it relates to generosity is to start by establishing, what does the wisdom literature provide as wise guardrails? And so we're going we're gonna to examine those first, and then we're going to say, and what, does actually, what actually happens along generosity paths? And in so doing, the, the, the hope is this, that we will be the sort of people that, that honor God by staying on the wise and generous path at the very same time the wisely generous path, the generosity path that is marked by wisdom's guardrails. We want to stay there because if we do, we will honor God in some profound ways with our finances. So with that being said, let's plunge in and let's start by establishing guardrails on either side of of generosity paths that the Proverbs are going to provide for us. The first guardrail is this, don't keep too much. Don't keep too much. When it comes to our finances, if we're going to protect ourselves from veering into a deadly path, one direction or another, the first thing that we have to see the Proverbs is saying really clearly is this. Don't keep too much of your money. Keeping too much will be dangerous and deadly for your soul. So says the Proverbs. Let's see if we can make sense of this. In chapter 11 and verse 24, it says this. One who gives freely One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and he only suffers want. The picture here is of an open hand and of a closed hand. One who gives freely, it's the picture of an open hand. It is wide open. It's loose. There's nothing tidy about this. Uh, So says one commentator. It It is this idea of postured for the gift, an open hand, yet growing all the richer. Meanwhile, the tight fist is revealing something. The one who withholds what ought to be given. Wherever there is a tight fist, there is a greedy heart. And wherever there is a greedy heart, the plague of want is present. You follow me? What this text is saying is that the one who is postured like this. I, let's just be clear. These texts are often preached in a kind of a prosperity gospel setting. I don't want us to situate it in its proper context. I don't think what this text is saying is that if you give $1,000, you'll have 10000 in your in your bank account tomorrow, no matter what uh, a preacher on TV may tell you. It's not primarily about tit-for-tat financial realities. But it is this idea of when you posture yourself with open hands, you begin to experience more and more of God's abundance. Sometimes financially, sometimes other ways, but always in a way that is leading you into real fullness. But the one who has tight fists, it says, finds themselves experiencing want time and time again. There's less and less. The greedy heart has tight fists and is marked by the plague of want. No matter how much you have, if you're grasping, it's never enough. Never enough. Don't keep too much. The, the second proverb that we have up there for us is 28.8, and it says this, Whoever multiplies his wealth by interest and profit gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. So once again, we have two pictures that are opposing one another. One who's gathering and one who's giving. Um, one who's postured for the good of the poor. One who is just multiplying wealth by interest and profit. A lot of scholars think that the first line also has to do with from the poor. That because the, le- the second line is about generosity to the poor, many would say that there's a mirror that in the first half, even though the words aren't supplied, that what it means is by making interest and profit from the poor. I think that's very possible that that's insinuated by this couplet. I think regardless, what the wisdom literature is saying is this, when, when we're making money for money's sake, when it's, it's making money by profit and interest, so it's like, I'm just, I'm laboring to expand my earning potential. Money to make money to make money. It's money on money on money is the picture. And he's saying, as opposed to the one that is just trying to expand their giving potential, that wisdom literature says that it's not against people having their vats full. We're going to see bursting with wine, being cared for. He's not wanting all of God's people to be impoverished and desperate. But what he is wanting is that the expansion of a wise or a godly person's financial well-being is always postured for others. He's saying don't keep too much because what will end up happening is, is it, will, it will just lead to want and to lack. I think it's an important point to note at the outset, that as as we sketch this idea of keeping too much, finding ourselves in this space, that the the average church attender, the average church attender in America today gives 2.5% of their income away. Now in the Great Depression, the average church attender gave 3.3% of their income away, which is a recognition that it's not so much about the the poverty or the expanse of the moment. It's actually about something that is happening in the heart. And there there is a reality that the typical average churchgoer is giving a a fairly small percentage in the scope of what God is going to expose in the text. You you see that there's about 3 to 5% of people that say, yes, I am a Christian and I believe in the scriptures. About 3 to 5% that that tithe on their income. And and this text is going to begin to challenge us in that way of saying, what does it look like for for you to to posture yourself with open hands and not be plagued by, by the realities of want, of thinking that no matter how much I have, I'm always hoping and wanting for a little bit more. The first guardrail that the wisdom literature puts out there for us as a people is saying listen it's it's not overly prescriptive at this point and that's not really the way God's wisdom is going to work but it is speaking in wisdom principles helping us to discern what is the path that's going to lead to flourishing and the first note is this don't keep too much don't arrange your life to continue to expand the earning and saving potential in a way that is marked by a closed hand the second piece of wisdom that serves as the opposite guardrail is this. Don't give too much. Now, as you hear that, if, if, if you're familiar with the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament, you go, wait a second, wait a second. <laughs> Don't give too much? Doesn't Jesus say to the rich young ruler, you have to sell and give everything? Doesn't he bless Zacchaeus when Zacchaeus gives half of everything he owns, a full 50%? Doesn't Jesus use the widow's might, the widow who only has one coin and gives that coin? Jesus says, that's the picture of proper generosity. So as I say that, you may rightly say, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Does the wisdom of the Proverbs speak against the teaching of Jesus? And I would say, no. What I'm inviting you into is the wisdom of the Proverbs. It's, going to not, it's not talking about percentages when it's saying don't give too much. What it's talking about is the heart and articulating your folly and calling it generosity. Saying, stretching over your folly and calling it generosity. Let's see if we can make sense of this together. Because giving too much is about giving what you don't have to give. And this is going to be really clear in the text. Look at Proverbs 6, 1 through 5. It said, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, or have given your pledge for a stranger... If you're snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. You have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go. Listen to how urgent this is. It says, go, hasten, plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep, your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Now, what is this text talking about? It's, it's talking about this idea of putting up security or giving pledge for a stranger. So the idea is that this is a more formalized agreement that someone is in need Someone's in desperate need and they're trying to make ends meet and you come and you say, you know what, I know you can't afford that car or afford that house or you can't do this thing, but I'm so for you, I will, I'm going to co-sign, I'm going to say I'm good for it, I've got your back. And the idea is a more formalized agreement of I'm standing in the gap on behalf of someone that's in a desperate place or a neighbor or even a stranger. And the picture, it moves towards these, these connections that are further and further away, and the idea is that what he's saying is, you may begin to believe that all generosity is always good, and he's saying, but some of it is just pure folly, where you begin to make pledges for things that you can't deliver on, or for a space that you can't actually, um, you can't actually cover the debt, or... Quite frankly, if you are doing things that are ultimately not good for the other person, that this is no longer generosity, this is just folly. There's two other Proverbs that help sketch this out. Let's look at these and then we'll we'll draw a few conclusions. It says in chapter 11, verse 15, Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm, but he who hates striking hands and pledge is secure. Do you hear it's these formalized ideas again, saying the one who's doing it will suffer harm, the one who hates uh, this sort of foolish giving is going to be secure. And then again, it says in chapter 17 and verse 18, one who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. I read those additional proverbs to help us see that it shows up time and again, cyclically. Hey, beware. Beware of foolish generosity of starting to think of yourself as someone that is just profoundly generous but you're engaging in activity that's actually not good for others and is not good for you we were discussing this as a staff and tyler made a a really helpful note he said it's, it's in these moments where we need to ask the question under the question why is it that someone would strike hands that would give the pledge what what is it that's happening here And as we were processing it, what we we began to realize is that in many ways this is the exposure of a savior complex. This idea of they need me to deliver for them. I've seen it frequently with a... A brother or a cousin or a friend someone's made a series of bad decisions over a long period of time and there's a certain sense in which well I'm a family member and I'm a Christian and I'm generous so yes I'll stand in the gap I'll sign the line I'll do the thing and what the scriptures are saying is that in moments where you think that you're you're the savior of someone else and that they desperately need you to make everything okay for them it seems that what the the proverbs is saying is that's not generosity that's foolishness if we go back a couple of weeks and talk about how to wisely view our own wealth we said that we need to know rightly we need to have our minds on what god has given us and we need to keep it in order because it has to be properly aligned for the benefit of others if we start engaging in foolish generosity that stands in the gap for others and saying, yes, I'll stand in the gap even though this person may not be responsible, I may be doing things that are unhealthy, that we are actually betraying the wisdom of God on a whole host of realities. Now uh, potentially putting others in danger because we have not been wise in our generosity. In the book, When Helping Hurts, it sketches out the difference between relief and development. Relief is when there is a cataclysmic event or a really unexpected reality that someone finds themselves in a devastating place. Perhaps there's a a storm, a flood, a fire, and they are caught in a desperate place. Relief comes in with open hands, says, how do I meet all of your immediate needs to help you get back on your feet? Development is what is happening in long-term, ongoing situations where There needs to be lots of thoughtfulness and nuance because if if someone is in a long, sustained, one step after another process and we're approaching it like relief, meeting every one of their needs, that's actually devastating for other people and it creates savior complex and unhealthy realities in the hearts of the giver. Proverbs is speaking to the wisdom required not to give too much. To give too much as as a way that is actually not benefiting, but it's undercutting the health of those that we're giving to, and or unhealthy in the sense that it's putting us in a, in a difficult position or creating a savior complex in our souls. You see, there's guardrails on either side of generosity past. Don't keep too much. Beware of the, the sticky fingers of the ways that our heart really quickly wants to grab and hold everything because it provides our safety and our security. And beware of this opposite extreme of standing in the gap foolishly for people that really need development and not relief. And they don't need a savior. They need a wise and a thoughtful friend that sometimes will say the hard thing to them rather than just trying to meet all of their needs. That if we're really going to love people and engage in wise generosity, we'll know the difference. We don't keep too much. We don't give too much. So what is it that we're called to in the road that runs between those guardrails? Thankfully, the Proverbs speak really clearly to that as well. The first thing, there's a a couple of notes about generosity pass, and the first is this. In Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10, we're going to see this. We're called to give the first fruits of all produce. I think... Proper emphasis ought to be put on first and all. Let's look at this text together. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. This is one of these texts that very clearly sketches out there's tremendous blessing to be had when we honor God with all that he's entrusted to us. And the way that we're called to honor him is is by giving of the first fruits of all of our produce. The idea of first fruits, we're talking about an agrarian culture, obviously. Uh, Most of you, all of you, are not making your income by growing fruit, I think. And so this doesn't immediately, it's not an immediate application, but the idea is that there's a one step away. It's just this recognition that when harvest season comes and the fruit starts coming, it's the first wave that is given to God. The reason that this is so crucial is because it is a step both in priority and in faith. The idea of priority is that you get the very first, God. You get exactly, before I know that any else is coming, it's yours because you have priority over all else in my life. And this is a tremendous step of faith, because at that point, what the farmer is admitting is, I don't know what's going to happen with the rains, I don't know if there's a massive storm coming, I don't know what's going to happen with the rest of the harvest, but what I'm saying is, the first is yours, and I'm going to trust you with the rest. The first fruits is a, is a statement of priority, and it's a step of tremendous faith. And he makes the note of all produce. This means that there's not some hidden field that's just for me. It's not like, well, this is my main field, but this is the thing happening over here. He's going, all of it presented before God. And as I've wrestled with this, I realize that it has exposed the places and the ways that I have wanted to hedge on God's wisdom and his teaching in the scriptures. When Ashley and I first married, we were not a first fruits people. We were committed to giving because we believed the scriptures, but we hadn't thought completely through this. And what we realized is that there were frequently times where money would come in and we've got so many designs for our money, do we not? All the things we want to do, the trip we're going to take, the bills that we've got to cover, the, the, the fence we want to put in our backyard, all the very practical things where you've got all these designs. And what we found is that when the money hit our account, if we didn't give immediately, we got really comfortable with that number. You know, it just starts to feel like, oh yeah, I've got, I've got a lot of designs for it. I've got more designs than that number has. And, and we would start renegotiating what we were going to give. Originally, we had thought we'd give this, but now we've kind of gotten comfortable with this and we've got all these plans. What we realized very practically is that when we didn't give quickly as a first fruits, it just has a way of, my fingers are sticky. <laughs> my heart loves it. And then I also realized the idea of all produce, that we had our main income, but then there would be these secondary things. When my grandfather died, we, we inherited a small chunk of money that we weren't expecting. And all of a sudden, I was like, well, my grandfather, I think, tithed. This money, it's tithed money already. You know, it felt like a, it's, like a, it's already covered, right? And it, And it was one of those awarenesses of how quickly I wanted to renegotiate on, I'm good on my, okay, here's my salary, I'm going to give on that. But realizing that what God's going is, I just, I want to be a part of all of these decisions because it's where your heart is being formed. It's not because God wants your money. And I'm not preaching this as preacher man because the church wants your money. I want your fullness. God wants your fullness. He wanted to look at me and go, stop renegotiating and trying to make life about you because when you do, you just suffer want. It doesn't actually deliver. And so when you, when you get your tax refund when you get this little bit of inheritance when you get the side hustle that pays more than you thought what he's saying is all produce the first fruits of all of it what would it look like just to keep posturing yourself and as soon as as soon as i get something how do i give to god because it's all his and i want it to be a statement of faith that is shaping my heart and the way that i deal with everything else that's coming you see generosity pass is first marked by the first fruits of all produce there's this really interesting note from the prophet Malachi in chapter 3. God very clearly says in the scriptures elsewhere, he says, Don't, you shall not test the Lord your God. But then the prophet says something that ought to cause our ears to perk up. Him speaking on behalf of God, he says, let's say it the Lord. He says, test me. Test me. Which, if we've read the scriptures up to that point, we'd go, oh, that's odd. That's the only place where God commands you to test him. And what is he talking about? He says, test me. Stop robbing me and bring the full tithe into the storehouse of God. Test me and see if I don't open the windows of heaven. The idea is this, that what God is saying is, what would it look like for you to just believe and to step out in faith and wait and see what the the impact is? He says, test me. He says, bring the full tithe from this text and others. This is why Randy Alcorn has, has established in his generosity principle. He says, the tithe, biblically speaking, is the floor. It is not the ceiling. That if you were to look at the Old Testament and the New and you're asked, what percentage are we supposed to give? God, what is it that we're supposed to give to you? There's no one clear answer. Because if you add together all the givings in the, in the Old Testament, some would say it's up to 30 or 40% that is expected to be giving, that the tithe is only the first portion of that. In the New Testament, you get Jesus pointing at people who give all or who give 50%. And the idea is that God's going, I'm not trying to give you a law so that you can check a box. What I'm inviting you into is to posture yourself before me with open hands saying, will you give me the first and the best of all of it? as a recognition and as an experience of worshiping me so that your heart can be reshaped in the process. It's the first fruits of all produce. The second note is this. It's intended to benefit the poor. It's intended to benefit the poor. Look at chapter 14, verse 31, and 19, verse 17. In chapter 14, verse 31, it says this. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. And then chapter 19 and verse 17 helps us understand why it honors him. It says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, for he will repay him for his deed. Do you see that these two proverbs make it abundantly clear that God so identifies with the poor that if you give to the poor, you give to God. That's what he's saying. This is why Jesus, when he is separating the sheep from the goats at the end of time, what he says at the judgment day, at the delineation for those that were sheep and those were goats, they say, you gave to me when I was in need. You fed me when I was hungry. You gave me water when I was thirsty. And they say, when did we do that? And he said, whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. God so identifies with the poor that he's saying it honors him and it blesses him when we give directly to them. The question is, well, how are we those sorts of people? Well, it it makes it really clear in the text that when we remain proximate to those in need and we cultivate in an abundance mindset, we become these sorts of people. It says that in chapter 22, verse 9. It says, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed. A good eye or a bountiful eye that they see the world in, in the terms of abundance for he or she they will share their bread with the poor. Chapter 28:27 who says whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. It's interesting that in these two proverbs it's it's the eye. Is it a bountiful eye or is it a hidden eye? Is it an eye that sees the world through the goodness of God or one that's thinking, I don't want to look on others' need. I'm just going to protect myself. It's the abundance and the scarcity mindset and the way that we see the world is gonna determine the sort of giver that we're becoming. If we begin to sort of be the sort of people that rehearse gratitude and, enjoy, and, and uh, engage joy in our lives, that we're constantly saying, God, thank you for all that you've done for me. Thank you for the way you've provided for me. Not cultivating the plague of want but living into the blessings of gratitude and saying, I woke up again today and I know where my next meal is coming from and you're tending to me in ways that go beyond what I could ever ask or imagine. That when we rehearse that, we begin to have a bountiful eye. We recognize that God is simultaneously being merciful and good to all humanity in every direction. We go, wow, you are so good to me and to us. I'm willing to look at the world differently. And ultimately, when we travel this past together, the past that gives generously the first fruits of all produce, benefiting the poor with a bountiful eye, benefiting those in need with with eyes that see the world through, through gratitude and joy, The beauty of this past, the reason that is worthy of going on the journey, and ultimately the the thing that empowers us to go on this journey is the beauty of the summit that draws us and beckons us. I had a moment this week that was so worshipful with these texts, engaging the Proverbs, when you spread out all these Proverbs from all across the book and you're just sitting and and trying to meditate on them, pay attention to them, it's, it's... at times it feels like your brain is grinding to a halt and your rest, or at least mine does. Maybe you're smarter than I am, but I, I sit with it. I'm like, okay, how does this work and what's going on? And all of a sudden it dawned on me. The beauty baked into the call of generosity. That in the midst of it, there was this safeguard placed on you and me saying, whatever you do, don't strike a pledge. Don't stand in the gap for someone whose debt you can't pay, because that's a savior complex. It's foolish. It's not generous. It's foolish. It'll tank you and it will tank them. And then I realized that Jesus, Jesus struck hands in pledge. He put up security for me and for you. And impoverished people that can't cover their debts. And he put he does what the wisdom literature says, don't do that, that's foolish. Don't promise to cover their debt when they can't do it. Yet Jesus says, hey, give me your debt, I'll cover it. Now why is it that Jesus would get, engage in activity that the proverb says is foolish? And listen, the reason is this, it's because he doesn't have a savior complex, he really is a savior. He, he really is. His blood is the most precious resource ever. It is more valuable than all the wealth in the world. Every one of your savings accounts and everyone else's savings account and all the wealthy zip codes around us all piled up on top of one another. One drop of blood from the Savior on the cross is more valuable and precious and beautiful. It is more to be treasured. And what he said is this, my blood can actually cover your debts. My blood shed on the cross is the one that accomplished all. It will avail for you. I don't have a savior complex. I'm a savior. I can cover all of your brokenness and your debt and you think your biggest problem is your finances. I promise you, it's not. You are impoverished and bankrupt of soul in yourself. I am bankrupt of soul and I cannot pay the debt back for all of my selfishness and all of my greed my scarcity mindset with my eyes that wants to not look too closely into the need of others because of what it calls for from me. All of that greediness and sticky fingers, all of the stuff that I bring before God, and he says, I'll stand in the gap for you. I'll pay the debt. You see, his generosity is so profound that it, it explodes even the bounds of the guardrails of wisdom. Wisdom. He's so generous. And the text says, the reason you need to run and make it right is because you're gonna be caught in the hand of the hunter, like a bird in the hand of the fowler. You're gonna be trapped and it will cost you your life. And for Jesus, that's exactly what it did. But he did it willingly and generously because he loves you. And when we stand in awe before the summit of, the mountain of his glory. We go, oh. Uh, really? For me? We begin to see the folly of grasping. You don't ever have to grasp again. Your tight fisted, my tight fisted greed before that summit. All of a sudden goes, (laughs) it's all yours. It's all yours. And together we will be the sort of people that mirror his generosity in such profound and beautiful ways that others will begin to see his glory as well. I long for Seven Mile Road to be a community of brothers and sisters so flooded with the grace and the love of Jesus that we're willing to traverse generosity past, knowing that the summits are worth the journey. Amen. Oh God, would you please free us from our greed? Show me, show me the shadows of my life where I still smuggle in my greedy heart. And show me the beauties of Jesus, the one who stands in the gap, so that we could be the sort of people that are wisely generous, faithfully generous. I pray that we would honor you with our resources in a way that holds you up as valuable and beautiful beyond all else that the world has to offer. Help that to be the story that our money tells. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.